Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Eric, and with me is Kiwi and BP. Shiver me timbers. Oh my god. Hi. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be playing Forgotten Waters, designed by Mr. Bistro, J. Arthur Ellis, and Isaac Vega of Dead of Winter and Ashes Reborn. The artist is Anton Fadiv of Dwellings of Everdale, Eldervale, and, and Nadezda Tikamirava. It is published in 2020 by Plat Hat Games. The description is, Forgotten Waters is a crossroads game set in a world of fantastical pirate adventure. In it, players will take on the role of pirates sailing together on a ship, attempting to further their own personal stories as well as a common goal. The world of Forgotten Waters is silly and magical, with stories designed to encourage players to explore and laugh in delight as they interact with the world around them. It is a game in which every choice can leave a lasting impact on the story, and players will want to turn over every rock just to see what they find. Forgotten Waters features five scenarios and a massive location book that provides players with a ton of choices where to go. The mechanics are dice rolling, events, narrative choice, paragraph, scenario, mission, campaign game, semi-cooperative game, Stat check resolution, storytelling, and worker placement. Um, the box art is um, like, a, like a, a whirlpool with a pirate, a ship, and some sea monsters, and a parrot. bird. <laughs> parrot. Because um, you can't have you can't have pirates without their parrot. And I'm glad you said whirlpool because when I looked at it, I was thinking Sharknado. Because it looks like the winds of the inside of a tornado, and then there, there's a shark. Maybe it is. So world, but thematically, a whirlpool makes way, <laughs> way more, more sense. sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> sure. Um, so, uh, based on all this, would you pull it off a shelf? Pirates. We do seem to like the pirates and the uh, semi-cooperative storytelling. Also, obviously, has me delighted. Um, Worker placement, boom, boom, boom. I just feel like that's definitely one of Kiwi's favorite types of games. I do enjoy a good worker placement. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very intrigued. Uh, so I'm going to say yes. Not by the art so much, but it is cute and interesting. It, oh, oh, wait, is that like Neptune in there somewhere with the little? Smallest trident ever. Yeah, so yes, there's enough intriguing about it for sure. So I am apprehensive. Oh, um, the storytelling aspect like that appeals to me. I like the art. So I think like box wise, I might pick it up the crossroads game. Um, so I did not particularly I liked the mechanics of Dead of Winter, except for the hidden trader. Mm -hmm. And I disliked Dead of Winter because of the hidden. I, I really do not like hidden trader mm -hmm. mechanics. So like. I'm okay with semi co-op if like we're working together, but we all have like our own goals, mm -hmm. but the goal does require us to win. Like in Gloomhaven, if it was, Hey, you have to get more gold than everybody else, but you're still trying to win. Right. Like that's one thing. But if there's somebody like actively trying to sabotage whether or not the other people win, it's, it feels like a weird experience to me and I don't, I don't like it. So I, I have concerns. So that that's what makes me apprehensive about it. But I think art-wise and theme-wise, I would pick it up. Yeah, so I picked this one just because I was looking up, like, storytelling games and stuff, and this came up. I, Yeah, I'd say for the same reason. I do like Dead of Winter. I've played it a few times. Um, but I, I think everybody is kind of met on the hidden trader piece of it. It's more the rest of the game. 
So I'm hoping mm -hmm. that this game, I, I tried to look it up a bit. It, I don't think it does the hidden trader piece. So hopefully, it, like you said, it's a semi-cooperative of we all just have our own individual goals while also a group goal. But I guess we will find out. Um, The box art, eh, eh, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's too busy for me. So I don't think that would entice me if I didn't know the game ahead of time. But yeah, I'm 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 hoping that the the story piece and like that description is just really good about, you know, leaving a lasting impact on the story and wanting to turn it this like exploration and stuff. Plus pirates. I just noticed the uh, the tortoise in the top left is holding a spear. So now I'm even more intrigued about the story. Uh, how do we think it's played, BP? Well, we're going to be telling a story. Do you know what a Crossroads game is? Do you at all remember Dead of Winter? I mean, to me, I thought Dead of Winter was like we were trying to survive, you know, kind of like a... No, that's a no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we were trying to survive something and Eric was the traitor and we lost. Based on the name, Dead of Winter... I mean, what there were zombies. We were, okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> but are crossroad games all zombies? No. So uh, the crossroad mechanic is that, um, or, like, you would take an action, and when you made the, when your turn came up, there would be a card that would have like an event on it, and if you did something that triggered that event, interrupt it, and you'd have to make choices based on that event. So that is Ooh, the so crossroad. So it's kind of like mechanic. a choose your own adventure book. Yes. So so I'm pretty sure at the base level of this, when we take a turn, there will be some sort of Let's that's the narrative paragraph thing. So it'll be a card with a paragraph of something and then somehow you can trigger that and then uh, that action could come into play. Um, so I think that will definitely be in the game. What the actions you can take are, I don't, I don't know. We're all in the ship together, right? So we want to loot, smuggle and drink because I'm pretty sure that's what pirates do. I mean, if any of my Disney experience so maybe like on your turn, there will be like a, a boat we can raid or something. Maybe that's one of the events. And then like the dice rolling is how you roll in order to succeed on those missions. Okay, so you might have to go out and do a mission on your turn. And if you make a certain choice or action on your mission, it'll trigger the whole storytelling aspect. And then you have to make a decision mm -hmm. and then that can impact, you know, the overall story of the game. I don't know where we're, I don't know who our workers are or where worker placement. I was reading this list and I thought this all makes sense. And then I had worker placement. I was like, what? yeah, well, so I mean, it's like you said, um, so only one person can captain or sail the ship. You have to have somebody probably on lookout, lookout. You probably have a, I don't know what, what positions people do. So on boats, are but we you, the workers and we place ourselves? I, I, I like this concept of like instead of a worker placement where like you're placing your little like people on different things like the player is the worker. I'm going with it. I Let's like do it. it. Real life worker placement is just your job. You just that, explained yeah, your like, job. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm much more excited about it in here. Oddly. Enough. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, history of um, uh, history of <laughs> turtles with spears. So, uh, you guys have heard of the Straits of Malacca or Malacca Straits? Yeah, absolutely. I've been through them. That, no. I mean, I think that's kind of cool. So, the Strait of Malacca or Malacca Straits, I've seen it 
uh, you know, patterned both ways is this small, right, narrow strip of water between like the Southeast Asian islands of like uh, Indonesia, Sumatra and um, big portion of Malaysia. Yeah, it's uh, right at the Southeast end is right where you'll find Singapore. Yes. Singapore is, yes, now a big, right, kind of part of yeah. that whole little triangle. So, right, the, the South China Sea to the Indian Ocean, which, uh, if we've learned anything from BP in her myriad discussions of history classes, we know that ancient civilizations and even modern civilization, right, the Indian Ocean is just this big plethora of trade and commerce linking very rich places of the planets together. And of course, whenever you have great riches of things traveling by sea, you also, of course, have people who maybe they got tired of playing it on the straight and narrow and wanted a little cut on their own. And so they put together their own pirate gang. And this area has just been notorious in ancient history um, and actually even very much in modern times, um, very contemporary. There's huge international uh, conglomeration uh, trying to... um, take on the pirate problem in that area because it's, yeah, it's still very alive and well. But some of the kind of cool stories from out of there uh, usually come from the Chinese perspective in the medieval period when, of course, especially the Ming dynasty was on this big anti-piracy campaign because, I mean, it's the Ming dynasty and they they, their you know, economy was just almost the strongest probably on the planet during that period in time. And uh, they're the ones who also sent Zheng He out, right, to um, explore the Indian Ocean on his with his huge treasure fleet. So they had the technology, they had the goods. But uh, apparently there's uh, a a text that was written uh, by a Chinese author in the, I'm not going to try to butcher any names, in the 14th century, though, that described how this one gang of pirates in particular, uh, they would w- like let the Chinese junks uh, sail through the straits uh, westward without being touched. And they would wait until they were coming back full of all the uh, gold spices and even um animal skins and um, uh, elephant tusks, right? Ivory from Africa. So you can imagine just like anything coming out of right South and East Africa, everything from India, um, all of that being loaded on a ship. And then, uh, right, you thought you made it through on your way to go get the goods, but you're not going to make it back. Um, And so there's just there's lots of stories about that. There's, in fact, still speaking about Zheng He and especially the Ming Dynasty. Um, he was credited for taking down uh, one of the biggest, uh, most famous pirates, uh, Chen Suyi. I think uh, would be how you pronounced it in like those early right 1400s when he did his thing. And there's, in fact, I want to say it's in. Malaysia, I can't remember now off the top of my head where there is an actual um, famous uh, statue dedicated to Zheng He for uh, taking on the pirates and making it safe for those places to be able to trade because uh, a lot of those local ports and cities were trying to uh, be the middlemen, if you will, between China and India. So 
There you go. All right. So you guys want to know how to play? We told you how to play. You guys are actually uh, somewhat close. Yes. We are the workers. Yes. Uh, so we are the senior crew of a pirate ship embarked on a shared adventure. We are working together to serve under the same pirate captain, but we are itching to find out our own glory. The game is played over a series of rounds, which each round taking place over a page in the location book. Each round consists of three phases that must be played in order. So the first phase is planning. The quartermaster will start the timer and in order of infamy from highest to lowest, the players will place their pirate on one of the actions in the book. And if any standees are not placed before the time runs out, the crew's discontent is increased by one. And if the crew level and the discontent ever match, we lose. Uh, with the limited time, players shouldn't read all the directions that ba and base their choices off the type, so they should base their choice off the name of the action and the type of action it is. Uh, actions with a green icon full of people are unlimited, and we can have any, any number of players can choose it. Uh, there's blue ones with only a single person on the icon, so only one person can go there. There are gray with a lock on it. Now, those actions can't be chosen at all. And then finally, there's red with exclamation points, and those are required and must be chosen by exactly one player. And sometimes they will say specific things like, you know, the la the player with lowest infamy must select this. So sometimes you'll be, you'll be locked into an action. Wait, so we can gain infamy? Yes. Uh, so after all the actions have been taken, we're going to uh, resolve our actions in order by action number going from lowest to highest. If more than one player is in an action, they go in infamy order from highest to lowest. If the action says to perform a skill check, they will roll a 12-sided die and add one for each filled box for that skill on their player's sheet. Add any matching icons from treasure or story cards they might have, then consult the text associated with the skill check. If instructed to fill a box on your player sheet, fill in the box for the associated skill on the player sheet. If the box has a start fill or has a start fill in a star on the player's constellation, it must be adjacent to the start star or previously filled star. So there's going to be some stuff that we're going to fill in what depending on the action. And then at the end of the round, once all the players have done all their actions, we're going to read the entry listed under the current pages round in section. The game can end in several ways. If the ship's hull reaches zero, so we sink, the players lose. If the discontent is ever equal or higher than the crew value, so mutiny, the players mm -hmm. lose. If the last threat is reached, so we die, the players lose. If the players That's reach the scenario- a lot of ways to lose. Well, it's a co-op game. There's always a lot of ways to lose. If the players reach the scenario goal, the players with at least four constellation events win the game. Each winning player then gets to read their story end for their character. Wait, so not, the whole team could not necessarily win. Correct. And that's why it's semi-co-op. So there is no hidden traitor. But yes, so you could still lose. win. You could lose after not winning. not be a winning player. Sure. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Let's play. just finished beginning a game of Forgotten Waters. To recap, we sank a ship, we boarded a frigate, we threw a creepy lady's lamp into the ocean, we went to the ocean's ed edge, we got to a new island, and we completed the first half of Scenario 1. 
So we didn't lose. We did not lose. We also went through a lot of storms. It was very bad weather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like sailing. Yeah, pretty assume. much what I imagined. Strategies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there really is a strategy well, per se. I feel I like mean, it's just... Other than looking at like what strong abilities are and try to like focus a little more because at the start we were kind of like i'm the gunner but i can't shoot very well i can't gun yeah play to characters i guess a little bit more um what'd you think of the theme kiwi i mean i i felt like the story really brought it together i feel like the actions i mean it felt piratey to me like definitely the story at least i think there's a lot of it like you said there's storms there's there's ship fights and we didn't really get into too much like mythical pirate piratey stuff, but I feel like it was there. We just didn't stumble across it. Well, I mean, you were allegedly an undead. Yeah, like I was an undead skeleton pirate. So, I mean, that, that, like that stuff was there. I feel like there's probably some bigger events involving that. Yeah. That we didn't yeah. Hit. We hit more of like the realistic pirate stuff of bad weather and uh, uh, enemy ships. Well, there was the creepy lady's lamp. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the theme, it, it'd be hard in a story game like this to not hit the theme, especially with the way the app is built into it. Like It's really cool. Yeah, I had it muted a bunch just because we were trying to record and do other things. But like there's background noise with like seagulls and the ocean and it changes based on like what the the scenario is. So, yeah, those were seagulls. Seagulls. Yeah. I was like, why are there so many parrots on the boat? <laughs> <laughs> Seagulls makes way more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Table presence, BP. This is kind of a tricky one because of all the app stuff and remote friendly things they do. But uh, I mean, I think even integrating that or even without it, it's got a pretty cool table presence. So, I mean, even just what's in Tabletop Simulator, um, I mean, each of the characters is pretty uniquely defined the character cards where you get to do your mad libs intros and you've got the um constellation that i mean i almost now want to get a pirate constellation tattoo (laughs) (laughs) um i think the the maps too are pretty unique i think all the elements are there for a great i feel like Again, kind of Eric's like whole thing is always like if you walked past this at a table, would it stop your attention? And I think like for sure, especially if the sound we're playing. Right. Um, But just I think there's enough elements even on the table that are kind of cool looking. Yeah, I was going to say like the player sheets like uh, they're. And I'd have to double check. I don't know what's in the base game and if you know some of this is like some extra stuff that's in the tabletop. Center, but there's 21 of those different sheets. Mm. And they all have different stories. They all have different constellations. So like that would be interesting. You mm-hmm. see somebody kind of like drawing and, and tracing out, you know, those bits, the, the book. I'm, I'm a really big fan of like the Mice and Mystic mm-hmm. style where you've got, you know, you play in the book, the new Gloomhaven, mm-hmm. uh, Jaws of the Lion, where the scenario is in the book. Like I, I think it's a really cool idea to kind of cut down on cardboard mm-hmm. and cut down on paper and all that stuff. So I feel like if I, if I saw this on a table, even if I didn't hear the app, mm-hmm. I would definitely like kind of cling to that bit. Um, this might be verging into mechanics, but I was, I was apprehensive about the app in general, mm-hmm. just because it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, I'm playing an analog game. Why do I want to add digital stuff to it? Not knowing how many entries they possibly have, that book would be very big. So I feel like the app is probably a, a much more like environmentally friendly Ooh, method mm-hmm. of like, 
presenting this data. Plus, it gives them the, the ability to do the the voiceover. So I was apprehensive about it at the beginning, but now that you know we got to play with it and the you know fun you know story to go with it, like I th- I think it really added to it, and I liked it. And if I saw it on the table and and heard the app going at the same time, I definitely would stop. So I think the table presence is pretty cool. Yeah, I think with the app, like it it adds. You don't play in the app. It just adds to the story elements of it. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think that's fine with things like detective and those other kind of app games or web that have a web component that just sort of are the story piece, which makes sense. Cause then you can fix things and you can add more easily and stuff like that. Uh, so we kind of got into mechanics, but uh, there's a lot of mechanics here. Um, what did you think of it all? Kiwi. Well, I was going to ask you because you were the one that was most excited about players being the the player, the worker worker placement. Yeah, I don't know that I'd really call it worker placement. I feel like it's just an action choice. I don't yeah. know that that really came across as like a worker placement game where the players are the workers. Like I, I think it's a bit of stretch to call this worker placement. Yeah, um, I think it's just sort of like an action picking thing. Uh, I guess the only thing is that there's limited people that can go on them, but I don't know. That that didn't really do like what I was thinking in terms of a crazy worker placement uh, take. I mean, like mechanically, like there's nothing like crazy, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I liked like, you know, Hey, make these choices just based on these icons. Like don't read more into it. Mm-hmm. Just based, you know, based off the icons and the name of it and go from there. Cause there were some where it was like, look into the abyss. And it was like, Question I mark. picked it. Cause like, I wanted to do it. And then mm-hmm. BP was like, well, I'm better at exploration. I was like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, but you only have 40 seconds to, to choose yeah. that. So I think it, with three players, like, you know, we never had a problem with, with doing the, right. But you know, you could play a lot more players with this game and I could see where like 40 seconds, if you're trying to talk about it and stuff in those 40 seconds, you could really like, lose time your discontent could go up um so i, I like that and then the, the result like none of the resolution was crazy it was just roll a die and add some numbers and then read off a chart mm-hmm. uh, which makes the game I, I felt like move faster because there wasn't like a bunch of crazy things you had to do mm-hmm. and we never ha- you know some games where it's just like you know there's many ga- like little mini games and all your different choices mm-hmm. and you always have to like go back to the book and be like okay how do we do this spot again how do we do this spot again you don't have to do this for this it doesn't matter what page you're on what action you pick you just look at the little thing off to the right and you're probably just going to roll a die or make some choices mm-hmm. yeah i had a pretty good um, flow so it's super easy yes yeah so I, I thought that worked well i loved the storytelling aspect too cuz that was definitely like one of our things uh and I, there was definitely a lot of story in it a story you know i mean it was your choose your own adventure because based on any individual player's choices could change right and affect everybody the, yeah and yeah. yeah the whole next move i liked how there were the different roles which one spread out the admin work cuz there's a lot of admin in the game but it spread it out mm-hmm. to each person or each player. Um, so that's cool. And then that also played into the story because it would be like, oh, you know, the the gunner, uh, this mm-hmm. applies to you. You make this choice. Or So I liked how that sort of um, role thing kind of worked. I think the thing I didn't like was the 40 seconds to, to discuss because yeah. the result was like we didn't really discuss. You just picked what you wanted and did it. And then to me, like, that's the fun of a cooperative game is the discussion part. And so we didn't really do that. It's sort of just everyone picked what they wanted and just did it. So I, I feel like in, if you didn't have that 40 second rule, you talk more and 
interact more. I wonder though if that's also though it helps like defeat kind of the analysis paralysis type. That's what it's trying to do. Yeah, and so it it leads you to make some of those more kind of um, spontaneous decisions, right? Yeah, but to me, it just killed the fun of the cooperative part. I think one of the things you could do is just take discontent and then take the timer out of it completely. Mm. Yeah, but I, I think it's a it's a, it's an attempt against the analysis paralysis and and the alpha gamer. I think it is, but I think it goes too far the other direction and then kills what makes a cooperative game fun. Uh, rules, um, learning the game, BP. You know, one round in, I mean, I still feel like even just one game into it, right? Um, We realized we did some things wrong, which is kind of par for course for us. But um, I think it wasn't too difficult once you went through one round. Like, again, as Kiwi already said, you know, um, it was just kind of when you went through your choices, you realized like, oh, do I have these symbols on my card? If not, I'm going to start to get these symbols. Uh, So I want to then in the forward, make these types of choices that have these same symbols. Uh, and then, yeah, you're just either rolling a dice or, you know, choosing, you know, one of several options. And so I think at that point, it's pretty straightforward. Um, sometimes like the cards and things like realizing when to use those, there was a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, and again, you know, we think we may have uh, played some things incorrectly, uh, but I think in terms of the actual game, it is pretty easy, but I think between one, there's a lot of, there's a lot of admin in the game. There's a lot of pieces to it. Plus trying to play on tabletop simulator plus two apps. Like it felt a little overwhelming more so than normal. I feel like at the start, um, like the first time we were picking stuff, I didn't understand. And then you're like, you have 40 seconds to pick go. And I was like, what's happening? And how did you guys, yeah, it, it felt overwhelming at first, but like you said, because it's kind of all just sort of like pick a thing, roll the dice. It is pretty, pretty straightforward once you get there. But um, it's it's a lot to take in, I feel like. I think newer players might be like, oh, my God, what if I, this would definitely be one where I start pulling everything out and people be like, what have I gotten into? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the rule books, it's, it's super simple. Uh, everything's laid out pretty well. So I think when I did need to look up things, it was super fast to find it. Like, I think some of the questions were like, how many treasure cards can you hold? It's right in the section labeled treasure cards. Like, do the story cards count? No, they don't. It's right in the section labeled story cards. So everything in the, in the rule book itself is very small. Um, so it, it's pretty simple. I mean, and even the last page, like the first page is a cover page. The eighth page has like a whole chart where you can like generate your, you roll die to like help you generate a name. For your oh. pirate if you can't come up with a name um, so that that can help you. So you don't have to be Steve, the assassin pirate, the assassin pirate. So I, I thought all of those were good. I did watch uh, the Watch It Played from uh, Rodney Smith, but it's linked from the Plaid Hat Games website to see how you play. So that helped a little bit. But I, I think the rules themselves were were pretty straightforward and easy. The one thing we did mess up was checking the threat against the objective, but it was easy enough to go back. And we hadn't gone so far into it that we weren't able to like retcon it a little bit and it didn't affect anything that we had done. So... Uh, with player interaction, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to start, there was no hidden trader, which was I liked, thankfully. Yeah. Um, I kind of already talked about the the cooperative side of things, where I felt like that was kind of weak. Um, and I think if you got rid of the forty second rule, I would like that better. Then there's also the take that piece of stealing people's treasure, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting because 
maybe I, I just don't know. Have we, are there kind of personal objectives or? So, I mean, there is the, like the, the winner is the, like, so in order to win, you have to hit at least four of those constellation things. And then the one thing that we didn't see is there's actually an additional page to all our player books that have like game in stuff. Mm. So like you could end up like being more winner than everybody else. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, but we didn't get into that. It's like, I stole one treasure from Kiwi. And then I was like, that was dumb because he does more of the action that's on it. Yeah. So I shouldn't have done that. So like, it was sort of like, I can take things from you, but also I don't want to because we're working together. Yeah, it would definitely take some more plays to figure out like, where does that come in? Yeah, it was, it's interesting. And I, I do think, obviously, we barely kind of touched the surface of the game. So it might come into play later. But yeah, I thought that was that was an interesting piece. Uh, what'd you guys think? Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree. I think I didn't mind the level of interaction. But again, I think this this one for it is hard for me because it's because I spend so much time like helping like run the game mm -hmm. and make sure everything like I feel more interactive than you guys do. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, looking past that, I mean, the interactive pieces would be cooperative. Did we discuss a lot about our plan and what actions we were taking? Did we work together to accomplish things, which I think I think we did. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. but not as much as in a normal cooperative game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like our pandemic legacy or even just regular pandemic where we have to stop ourselves from right discussing our plans until we finish the turn until we finish the turn because yeah. we're going to forget what we're going to do. Right. right. Again, it's not a cooperative game. It's only a semi cooperative game. So that could be part of why they're they're calling it that semi cooperative. So. Yeah. But it's definitely not like, you know, a solitary game and it's definitely more than indirect. Oh, yeah, it's it's definitely I just it's it's an interesting dynamic of sort of like the cooperativeness and then sort of the take that pieces. Um, would you play it again, uh, BP? Absolutely. I really am actually looking forward to playing it again. I really, really liked it. Yeah. Storytelling. I mean, storytelling and storytelling and being pirates. What? I mean, at least it's semi-cooperative, but I feel like that's kind of cool. Like, because pirates, would you really want to be cooperative? No, that doesn't even fit in with that kind of theme. So, yeah, I think storytelling is kind of like a little bit of a misgiving. I think it's more story driven, and, mm. but I am 100% okay with it because the story that we have seen so far seemed very interesting. Mm -hmm. And like, I also want to con continue playing it because like it's a, there's... You know, I, I want to know more story. Like, I enjoy the mechanics and how the whole game works. I, I really liked the game, I, and I think it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I played again. Um, I actually, you guys, something you didn't mention was sort of more the exploration piece, which I kind of liked. Uh, I, we were kind of in a hurry, not in a hurry, but we were kind of in a direct path to the, the goal island. Um, but I kind of wanted to go, like, to some of the other navigation tokens we pulled up. Yeah. But for podcast reasons. Seemed like we should go direct to the objective. I was all, I was also though really nervous about our hole. We were losing yeah, a lot that's of the hole thing. there. We could well, have lost. That was lost. the thing though, because we took options to go into the storm and into the unknown, whereas we had maybe a potential island that we could have. That's true. Yeah, repair it at. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it enough to to give it another go. Um, this is probably closest to Sleeping Gods. Um, that had a much more cooperative feel to it, uh, which I really liked. But yes, kind of similar, similar themes, similar sort of story, like you said, story driven and you're kind of reading and or listening to to storybook and making decisions in there. But yeah, I, I like some pieces of this, too, especially with the um, the character sheet and the constellation and the, the Mad Libs. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the only bummer is, is it is listed as a three to seven player game. Mm-hmm. There is a variant to play two players, but you control a third dummy player. Mm-hmm. The, I would want to play this with four people, I think. I didn't really like having the three player with the dummy token. It really does seem like it's supposed to be set at four players because there is a solo mode where you control four standees. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the game really is tailored to four. Uh, All right. Yeah. So that is um, Forgotten Waters. So if you would like to hear more of our uh, <laughs> attempts at any kind of piratey voice or just recommendations and thoughts on games, um, send them our way. Our email is firstturntabletop at gmail.com. We're also on Enter. <laughs> that was Enter and Twistagam. Um, so Twitter and Instagram at First cast and our pirate podcasting camel uh kiwi i gotta get yours because we already know my pirate voice is pretty pretty <coughs> southern bell yar <coughs> yar <coughs> <coughs> please don't forget to rate review and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers we look forward to hearing from you mateys play more games <laughs> So, backstory of Steve, the Assassin Pirate. Our Jeff LeClaire was the first target I was able to track down. I used my Superman punch, but it didn't do the job. First time that's happened in 12 days. I eventually took him down, though, and made sure to make it look like an accident so no others don't catch on. We came upon a wrecked merchant vessel. So I swam down to the bottom to gather the loot with me crewmate. I made it to the bottom without issue, but Steve the Assassin Pirate barely survived. I maintain that's because I'm in peak physical condition and not because I'm magically animated skeleton that don't need no breath, as some of me crew have insisted. He went over the edge of the ship in dead of night. If he'd been wearing one of those, or one of these... We would have spotted him instantly and fished him up. Instead, he was wearing that dark monkey costume he was so fond of. God's rest his moldy soul. Steve, Steve's the villain of this game. <laughs>